0: Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good evening, everyone. So glad to see all your faces here. Am I coming through? Coming through? Okay, Bueller? Okay. Um, So glad you're all here to worship our God and King in this place uh, this evening, and um, man, it's a gift for me, I feel like, to be led by uh, our elders uh, in the liturgy. Just uh, it's it's sweet. So thanks to Brad and to Chris who went off to uh, serve and love on our little kiddos, and of course our musicians and everyone behind the scenes doing the stuff to make it all happen. Um, praise God for the body of Christ. Uh, that's that's the church. Uh, we wouldn't have church without people using their gifts. So praise praise God. Um, so. Josh. Also, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, Josh isn't here today. He told us this, but if you missed it, he is visiting family in Georgia. Uh, So it was real sweet. He got to go visit his mom, especially for her birthday. So we'll be looking forward to having Josh back with us uh, next Sunday. But he is with his fam uh, in in the south, southlands, um, which is not Mordor. um, (laughs) By the way, just to be clear, in in Josh's case, anyway. all right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the scriptures here before I do anything else stupid. Um, so as we are continuing in uh, God's Word today, I'm going to pick up just where Josh left off in the book of Romans, and uh, that puts us in Romans chapter 5, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 5. And just to catch us up, if it's been a while or you missed it, you need a reminder, um, The what's been going on in Romans is that um, Paul, especially in verse four, Paul has just laid out this really big statement that Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. And uh, this is a really huge statement in a way. He's kind of I think Paul is um, feeding off of statements that Jesus himself made in his ministry, like, for example, in Matthew chapter five verse 17, where Jesus says that he came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. And so Paul here, I think, is, is, uh, you know, that that in and of itself is a huge statement. What does that mean? And Paul is uh, continuing in this section of the text, as we pick up in verse five, to explain, to think through, what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law, the destination of the law, as Josh put it last week. Um, So that's a a bit of the context, and especially as we think about what are the implications if if Christ has fulfilled the law, if he's the end of the law, um, how are we righteous? How do we become right with God if the law is done and, and is put away with? For Jews and Gentiles alike, how do we become righteous in God's sight without a law? So that's kind of the looming question as we come to our passage. So all that said, let's, um, probably too much in terms of context there, let's, let's stand together as uh, we hear God's word read. So again, Romans 10, picking up in verse 5, God's word says this. <clears throat> For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is God's word. Please remain standing and let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, thank you for this time that we have to gather around your scriptures. Lord, thank you for uh, what you've already done in this place um, by your spirit, Lord, as we've been singing and praying together. Continue your good work in us and in the world through this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And then you may be seated. Okay. So, uh, church, as I was uh, reflecting on our passage this week, um, I started to remember back uh, to something that was, you know, several years ago now when I was just uh, a wee lad. Um, uh, college students, uh, young, bright-eyed, uh, bushy-tailed uh, st- <laughs> You know, ready to soak it all in in college uh, in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute. Uh, I was thinking about those days. And in particular, I, my mind was drawn back to a particular professor that I had by the name of Mrs. Rydelnik. And uh, Mrs. Rydelnik, in my experience, was a notable professor because, I mean, well, in addition to just being a good educator... Um, she was also a Messianic Jew. And that was, that was new for me. I had never encountered someone who was culturally Jewish, uh, you know, by, by heritage and biologically Jewish, and yet at the same time was someone who believed in Jesus, that, that Jesus Christ really was the Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament. That the whole, the whole story, starting in Genesis all the way through, is pointing to this guy, Jesus, as the fulfillment of, of the scriptures. And that was this professor, Mr. Delner. She, she was a, a Jew who loved Jesus, and knew he was the Savior. And so as I, I thought about the text this week, I began thinking back to this one particular class uh, that I had with this professor in which she, for some reason, whatever was going on in the class, I think she was teaching us some Old Testament background type stuff, Uh, and so she comes around to this question at one point, and the question she asks asks to the class is, okay class, how how do uh, you think people in the Old Testament came to be saved? How were people in the Old Testament saved, especially if they were people who were just living under the law before Jesus came? How, how, how were they saved? Were they saved? And so, uh, you know, I think a few of us, you know, gave some really bad answers. Um, and she eventually kind of came to our rescue and she said, OK, class, here, here's the deal. People in the Old Testament are saved in the exact same way that people in the New Testament are saved. And it's by grace, through faith, in Christ. I think, you know, for, we were stunned for a moment. We're processing, like, wait, what? What did she just say? So she kind of goes on. She continues to explain. She talks about how just as faithful Jews in the Old Testament looked forward in faith, as they studied the scriptures and they came to know God's word, they looked forward in faith to the coming Messiah. So also we, in a similar way, are those who look back in faith on the Messiah who has come and who has, of course, promised to come again. And so, you know, she, she explains this whole situation. And for me, I remember it was kind of a revolutionary moment in my kind of theological training, my understanding of the Bible powerful moment of like pieces coming together and thinking oh man this this really makes the story kind of make sense it's it's one story pointing to jesus from both ends of the story and i think that was a a significant moment for multiple reasons one because of the realization that i just described but then also just because it was a simple gospel truth that was stated simply but About profound realities, about salvation and how salvation is being worked out in our lives and in the world, in history. In a similar way, I think the Apostle Paul in our text today is making very clear, very simple statements, and yet statements that are very profound, statements that are revolutionary when it comes to how salvation happens, how people come to know and be embraced by his covenant love in this world. Especially, I think Paul is bringing us to this point and to this question, and it's this reality of him addressing the question of how is it possible for us to be right with God? And Paul is saying here that it is possible, very much so, for us to be right with God, righteous in God's sight, even without the law, simply through faith in Jesus end of sentence, like full stop. Faith in Jesus alone, that is all it takes to be right with God, to be righteous in his sight. So simple and yet very profound. You could think about it in terms of like a mathematic equation even. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it would lay out like this. It's faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I, I think that's that's a gospel equation. That's what Paul is getting at here in this passage. Profound truth. It's truth that uh, the Jews needed to hear in Paul's day, which is part of why he's writing this. It's truth that Gentiles needed to hear. Again, why, why Paul is writing this. It's truth that we still need to hear today. That, it, that Jesus plus nothing. Grace. Faith in him alone, by which we gain everything. That we can rejoice in that beautiful and simple gospel. And we need that message because we always, we're always tempted to add other things in. We mix other things in. Like, it's got to be Jesus plus this, my good works, Jesus plus that, you know, some tradition, some whatever. God's word strips it back down. The beauty and the simplicity of the gospel again and again. For the next three moments, then that's kind of where I want to point our hearts and direct our attention. So I'd like to think together about the who, the how, and the what of faith in Jesus. Who, how, and what of faith in Jesus. And as we go, I think we can be chewing on the simple question of, who do I know? Who do, who do you know? Who do we know that needs to hear The simple message of faith in Jesus. Who needs to hear that message? Maybe it's me (laughs) to start with, you know. Maybe it's you. We don't ever graduate beyond the gospel, right? It's not the gospel as the starting point, and then we move on to more complicated things. So, So start with ourselves. I need to hear this gospel again, the simple gospel of faith in Jesus plus nothing. right? Maybe there's other people in, too, right? A neighbor, co-worker, someone else who needs to hear that, that hope, that beauty. So we'll dive in here. Think about that as we go. Pray about it throughout the week. So uh, point one here, uh, the who question. And what I mean by the who is, uh, not, I'm not talking about the band And I'm not talking about the World Health Organization either. Just to be clear. The who question is all about who is welcome? Who is invited? Who is allowed to have faith in Jesus? Is the question. It's the question of limits and limitations to the gospel or lack thereof. And at least according to Paul and what we're seeing him say in these verses. The answer to that who question is that who's welcome? Everyone is welcome. Who's invited? Everyone. Everyone is invited to have faith, to put their trust in Jesus Christ. See this in our text. Yeah, thanks for the slide. See this in our text, especially, I think, uh, the last couple of verses, verses 11 and 12 and 13, and as we look at these verses you can see them highlighted there we have five different kind of verses or words kind of references to this this idea of inclusion openness for for the gospel to go forward i'll read it out for us just uh, as we're seeing it on the screen uh paul writes for the scriptures say let's count them up the scriptures say that everyone who believes in him will be put to shame for there is no distinction number two Between Jew and Greek. No distinction. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Number three. Bestowing his riches on all. Number four. Who call on him. For everyone. Five. Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Has he made his point? He's underscoring it there again and again. All. Everyone. Come. Come. Believe. Repent. Know this jesus greek uh, gentile and jew alike as we think on the whole scripture uh you know the the whole story that the scriptures are telling us we see actually i think that jesus is uh, one who actually leads the way in this kind of open invitation to all when it comes to the gospel as we look at the gospels. We see that Jesus is one who is consistently inviting and welcoming folks. We see it with little children. He says, "Let the little children come to me." We see it with women. He invites and welcomes women. Even like I'm thinking of the Samaritan woman. This was scandalous, right? Not only was she a woman, she was a different culture. You know, one that the Jews were kind of standoffish about, to put it mildly. Jesus invites and welcomes her. He interacts, engages with her. Jesus invites and welcomes tax collectors and sinners, right? He caught flack for that. We see Jesus moving towards the sick and the, dece- uh, the diseased and those who are untouchable according to the law. And yet Jesus says, no, come, come. I'm going to go to you, actually. I- I'm going to touch you and heal you. Think of... Uh, Even the verse that Chris Reed read out in the plaza a few moments ago, if you were out there, to start our service. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says. So Jesus is the the inviter in chief. He is the welcomer. He's, He's example number one. And I think Paul is kind of working that out as he puts the pieces together about what Jesus has done. Who he is, is the Messiah for all, not just for the Jews, but for everyone. It's good. It's gospel. And, you know, for me, as I think about application for this, uh, one of the places that my mind goes is to think a little bit more about this statement in verse 12 of the text. The statement that uh, Paul makes about there being no distinction between Jew and Greek. And that's interesting to me, and it's challenging to me, and I think maybe to us all generally, maybe to just our cultural moment specifically, because I think we feel really definitively right now that like, like we're people who like to make distinctions. <laughs> we're really good at making distinction and saying, hey, I am, I am this and you are not." Like, it seems like we are increasingly in this moment of, like, we're sliding more and more into kind of tribalism. <laughs> like, I, this is me and my people, and you have you and your people, but, and we are, you know, you know, at best we ignore each other. At worst, we're at war. And I think this, this open invitation, no distinction in the gospel, challenges us, challenges believers in Christ, challenges the church to be a different kind of people in the world. Not, not, not building the fortress, but opening the gates. Ministries of hospitality. Opening our doors, not just to our friends, but to the stranger, to the alien, to the orphan. These are the, these are the people that, that Jesus, that God's word calls us to engage with, right? Not make distinctions here, but to love, to invite, to faith in Christ. Faith in Jesus is an open door, according to Paul. So who is invited? Everyone. All. Open invite. Second point here, we'll move on. The how question. The how here, what I mean by that is when it comes to faith in Jesus, is really: how is it that faith in Jesus happens? How does, how does faith in Jesus begin? How does it how does it how does it unfold? in our lives. And I think, again, if we're taking our cues from Paul and from this text that's in front of us, how faith happens is that first and foremost, faith happens as the Lord and his word draws near. The Lord draws near to us. I think we see uh, that this is really what uh, Paul is beginning to get at as we look at these verses that are a little bit strange. Uh, Verses 6 and 7, and then also coming home to this this idea of verse 8, where is where Paul actually says the word is near you. But the, the words leading up to that I think are really interesting, and it's kind of a little disorienting of what Paul is actually saying there. But I think it all has to do with this, how how faith happens, question. And I think what it is, uh, you know, if I were just going to summarize it, what is going on in verse 6 and 7 is that there's, Paul is putting forward this challenge that uh, the people of God are called to just trust in the finished work of Jesus. That's how, how we come to faith, is we trust in the work that God has done. You might say, where do you get that, right? so let me i'll see if i can make sense i think i botched this really bad this morning uh, in paradise so i don't know if i'll do any better here tonight maybe you're already lost so if you are i'm sorry but so how how does faith happen we see so but the righteous uh, the righteousness based on faith paul says uh faith says do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven and then he has this parenthesis: that is to bring christ down so pause there for a second uh I think what Paul is saying here is that we were not called to bring Christ down. Why are we not called to bring Christ down? Christ came down on his own. Right? Christ became incarnate. Christ came down. He was born, took on flesh, was born in a manger, was humble, in a stable. So so we don't need to bring Christ down because christ did that himself god did that the, the trinity they worked that out right we can trust that god has done that good work and we don't need to like you know add anything to it right i think it's a similar idea as we go on verse seven there where he says uh who will descend into the abyss and he says that is to bring christ up from the dead and again same question why do we not bring, need to bring christ up from the dead He did that himself, right? He took care of that. He raised himself from the dead. The Father raised him. So we, we, don't, we just get to accept that work, that finished work, his, his coming down, his rising up. We get to trust the finished work of Jesus on our behalf as a gift. I think that's, does that make sense yeah. at all, a little bit? Okay. I heard at least, Joy, Joy's tracking, okay. So. <laughs> That's good. So how does faith happen? It, ha- it happens, uh, well, you know, again, as I'm saying, faith, first of all, does not happen as we try and do things that Jesus has already done for us. Faith happens as Jesus draws near and as we trust in his work on our, on our behalf. But there's kind of a second uh, uh, aspect to this how faith happens thing too and that is the gift that we have of being able to respond to the nearness of God and I think that's really what is uh what Paul is getting at in verse nine and so this is uh, the response that we see in verse nine where Paul says that we uh, you know those as, as Christ draws near we are able to believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord so it's this two-part thing of how we come, how, how faith happens in our lives. God draws near, and then we are enabled by grace to respond to his nearness. To trust in him as the Lord, the King that he is. So I'm a little muddy there. Sorry if it was confusing, but again, it brings to us a question for application: have you have you done that? I don't want to make assumptions here. I would assume most of us have, but but have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that there is no other? In this context, there was, you know, Caesar was being hailed as Lord in the first century. Paul is saying, no, Jesus is Lord, the one and only. Have you confessed that Jesus is Lord? Have you done that? And do you believe in your heart? Have you believed in your heart? And specifically, you know, Paul connects this to a particular doctrine. Believe in your heart that God did what? That uh, That he raised, right? That he raised Jesus from the dead. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? I think, you know, there's so many distractions, even in Christianity and in the faith, and sometimes even just we read God's word, and we get hung up on so many different questions and struggles and issues, and we say, well, this seems weird, and I don't understand that, and all of it can lead to a place where we're not even sure if if we're Christians, (laughs) and so my encouragement to you, if, you're, if you ever find yourself in that place, and maybe this can be an encouragement that you take to others, is, hey, major on the majors and start with the resurrection. There's a lot of confusing stuff in the world. There's, a, there's, there's confusing stuff in God's Word, like I just exhibited with my bad explanation of what was going on in verses 6 and 7. But if we major on the majors, the resurrection of Jesus, a lot of other things will kind of fade into the background. We can rest knowing, trusting in what God has done for us. Rest in that. So that's the second point. So first one, who, the who, everyone's invited. The how, it happens, God draws near, we respond by God's grace. Third question then, the what, the what question. Question. And the what question is this, what does faith in Jesus do? What does faith in Christ actually accomplish for us? And again, I think there's a little bit of a kind of a twofold answer to this question. I think the answer is that faith in Jesus, again, back to this simple beauty, faith in Jesus saves us. Faith in Jesus saves us and sets us free we look at the text again, I think we see this especially as we look at the end of verse 9 and verse 10. This word comes up, Paul writes, uh, I'll read back, read it back to us, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth One confesses and is saved. And to that, we say amen, right? Hallelujah. We are saved. This is good news. We celebrate this, right? But there's something sobering in this as well, isn't there? Because if you think about being saved it kind of begs the question of what exactly are we saved from? What are we saved from? And I think if we look at the the testimony of the scriptures, we see that the reality of God's word tells us that what we are saved from ultimately is the wrath of God, the just wrath of God against sin and wickedness and evil that is, yes, out in the world ever since Genesis 3, but is in my heart too. Is in our hearts. And the sobering reality about being saved is that you have to admit that you're being saved from the just wrath of God, his judgment falling upon us. And that's sobering. At least it is to me. We are saved. From wrath, we are saved even, you know, it's kind of a double whammy. We're saved from ourselves. So we're saved from something. It's heavy. Paul doesn't leave us there, though, just in that heaviness. Because not only do we see in this text that we're saved from something, but it's, Paul makes it clear that we are saved for something as well. There is sweetness here we see this i think especially in verse 12 paul underscores and makes it clear that we are saved Uh, i'll read the, the text he says for there is no distinction between jew and greek for the same lord is lord of all bestowing what bestowing his riches on all who call on him so what are we saved for We are saved for being able to to receive, to inherit the riches. The riches of God. We are saved for the riches of Jesus Christ being our Savior. The riches of heaven. Saved for the riches of God's presence. The Holy Spirit indwelling within us even now. The riches of being adopted into God's family. The riches of being welcomed into a kingdom and having the hope of a city whose foundations will never fail or be destroyed. It's what we're saved for. Those beautiful things. So we are saved for these good things. Set free from some things. Saved from some things and saved for some things as well. And ultimately, as we begin to kind of land the plane here, take us back to the beginning where we started. We are set free in the gospel from a righteousness that is based on the law. We are set free from a righteousness that is based on works. And just as my, you know, my professor that I talked about, Mr. Delnick, at the beginning was one who was, you know, loved, her, was a Jew, loved her Jewishness, but also loved Jesus. Right? She loved Jesus because she knew Jesus set her free from the, the works of the law, from, from the bondage of the law that could be oppressive, and just gave her this new beginning in him, this new freedom in Christ to just be his and to live as, as Jesus is, was inviting her to live. As I was uh, reflecting on these, these verses this week, I, I was reading them with my wife, um, Angie. Many of you know her. Uh, she's a great gal. Uh, but uh, we, we were thinking especially about this, this verse, and I'll close with this thought. Um, now I'm going to lose it. Uh, it says, oh yeah, okay, so verse 11. It says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Think the glory of the gospel. Uh, my wife, Angie, brought up the idea that uh, this connects in her mind to the words of David, Psalm 34 and verse five. And David says, for those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. That's the gospel. That's what we're saved for. It's the who, the how, and the what of faith in Jesus. Let me pray for us, partake of the communion table together. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for your good word to us in the scriptures. Lord, may it continue to sink down deep into our hearts. Lord, may, may your word sink deep down into our hearts, even as we head to this communion table. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.